Welcome to Finding Emo, our podcast where we discuss our favorite albums from the early aughts and thereabouts. I am Blake Fisher, and I am joined by the recently dug himself out from the 12 feet of snow that Austin, Texas got over the last couple of weeks, Chris Monier and Kyle Simmons, who is more like 10 or 12 inches of snow around here, right, Kyle? I mean, it was still significant for Oklahoma and Texas, but... Uh, so sorry that we skipped an episode. We gave you that Valentine's Day episode. The plan was for this to happen a few days after it. And then we got like snowpocalypse. Uh, my mother told me that 46 of the 48 continental U.S. states had snow on the ground at the same time, which is uh, pretty oh, crazy. Wow. I think it was just Florida and Georgia that didn't have snow on the ground. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's uh, that's pretty impressive. Uh, so Chris did not have electricity or running water. It was like a third third world country down in Austin. No, no, so we Texas could not record did a... not handle it well. We did not handle it well. Hey, Had it's a little okay. trouble. Look, it's a like <laughs> it's like a thousand year flood. Like I, everyone's giving Texas a bunch of crap, and I'm like, guys, like this has oh. never happened before. Like, no, no, <laughs> so many wonderful, so many wonderful people from northern climates explained to me how how easily they handle it where they're from. I, yep. it was very helpful. Yeah, to be fair, I heard a story about Minnesota installing uh, LED traffic lights, and then the first freeze came, and they were like, oh, that doesn't work. Those don't melt ice off those traffic lights, and they had to redo all of them. So they're not immune to it either, okay? Now, that didn't, you know, kill anyone, but whatever. Or maybe it did. Probably did. You could be killed in a traffic accident if the mm-hmm. lights weren't visible. You can't yep. see. Uh, anywho, uh, the whole point is that thank you for joining us again. We have not disappeared off the face of earth. We are all warm and snuggly in our electricity and water bound, uh, houses. We've got running water. We can drink it. Uh, we can flush toilets. It's a lot of fun. Uh, anyway, today we are talking about the Atari's 2003 album. Yes. Am I right? 2003 album. So long comma Astoria. I'm so excited. Uh, I don't know why I say the punctuation and stuff. It's just so long a story. But uh, this is a banger, and 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 Kyle's going to tell us about the record. Okay, dudes. So the first thing I'm going to do is tell you, we didn't plan this, and I don't know if you looked at the exact date, but this album came out this week that this episode's coming out, 17 well, years I, ago. I did not know that, but uh, so 18, 18 years ago, right? 17. 2003. Oh yeah, seven. No, eighteen. Uh, it's two thousand. It's twenty twenty one. Twenty one. Man, dang, you're right. That is impressive. So, and what also? What's crazy? This is just a little serendipitous for me, but this is my wedding anniversary. <gasps> well, congratulations! Yeah, congrats. So it was a big day for me. May's the uh, the uh, uh, destination beautiful came out this week too, eighteen years ago. So that same week, I guess. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, pretty exciting. Good week for music. It's a great really week for albums. music and a, and a pretty good week for love. And um, also, uh, I mean, in case anyone doesn't know this, Chris Rowe from the Ataris, spelled with a K like our Chris. Yep. Chris yeah, Monier. So two Chris's with a K. We like that spelling. Two, two special dudes. A little partial to it, obviously. Uh, well, Kyle, tell us more about this album. Uh, that's already a very good fact, though, right off the bat. So yeah. I'm interested to hear your other ones. Yeah, so uh, I'm I'm going to go through the kind of the quick facts that we usually do, and then t- and then throw a couple little little tidbits at you guys, and then uh, I do have a few things highlighted that I'll that I'll mention as we listen to the record, if I remember that is. But uh, yeah. uh, as we said, March fourth, two thousand and three. This is the fourth album uh, from this band, and. I didn't look into him. Did you guys happen to look into Lou Giordano? 
I did. I was hoping you would do your uh, Giordano. caricature <laughs> Italian accent. A Giordano. I thought for sure you would do it the first time. I was no. kind of taking a wager in my own head. Man, I was going so, to. So oddly that. enough, I'd, I'd never heard of him. So hmm. I start diving into him. Not a lot on Wikipedia. That's yeah. our first source, just in case anyone was curious about how the magic is made here. We just <laughs> Wikipedia first, okay? Uh, but I did go looking at his... Um, uh, what's the all music? You know, it has tends to have more credits uh, on it, and uh, and he's done. Uh, so he did a lot of. I mean, he's been around for forever. He's been doing producing stuff since like the eighties or seventies or something like that. But he did Goo Goo Dolls, A Boy Named Goo. He oh, wow. engineered oh. Lives Throwing Copper, which is a big one from back then. He did Toe the Wet Sprocket, uh, which is why Glenn is on this record actually doing background vocals. Uh, Sunny Day Real Estate. Uh, he did Taking Back Sundays, Where You Want to Be which I did not realize. What? Uh, a Different Light by Sherwood, uh, Taking Back Sunday, Notes from the Past, Waking Ashland, Plain White Tees. So he did quite a few big records. I was very surprised. I'd like never heard his name. Wow. Those are some pretty well-produced records, I feel like. But, but. Well, so um, w- one of the, let's see, when, when they were looking for producers, the bassist, Mike Davenport, said that uh, Lou was always his first choice. And I thought this was so interesting. Rick Ocasek said that he didn't get it. Like he didn't understand <laughs> the Ataris and uh, Mark Trombino told them to keep writing. And uh, the minute that they got together with Giordano, um, it worked. And so that's pretty cool. Says that um, one of the other things I was going to say is, Oh, I love that the album is the, the title is a, is a Goonies reference. So mm. That's right off the bat, you know. I didn't catch that. Yeah, so long Astoria. That's where okay. that's where they live. And, well, um, I thought okay. I just always assumed Astoria was the street that he grew up on because the whole thing's about him going back to his hometown and stuff like that. I never even thought about it being a reference to something else. But yeah, so I'm learning things. Um, one of the things that 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 uh, Chris said is that uh, he basically someone gave him a book called go now by richard hell what an awesome last name right um and it contained a chapter where he had a quote that said memories are better than life and chris rose said that he wanted this record to portray that life is only as good as the memories we make and that Uh, i think mission accomplished totally i mean yeah absolutely this this album definitely encapsulates a moment in time for me. I, I don't know if it's the same for you dudes, but um, really good. And then, you know, we, we really don't talk about these records before we do this, but we did because of the inclement weather, we did text a little bit. And, and I do have to say that like when you read through and see who was popular at the time and who, who was, who was coming out, basically everybody was trying to find their, their pop punk band. Right. And they signed with Columbia and Chris Rowe basically said they signed with Columbia because he he thought at the time signing with a major lab, label was going to solidify that he had a, a career as a musician longer, which, I mean, I, I see that making sense, right? Um, yeah. But Columbia is a great, I mean, it was a good it, label. As far as if there was a major label I wanted to be on, it was Columbia. Like, yep. I felt like everything they put out was awesome. Like, even in a genre that I didn't like, I'd realize like that's the best in that genre. Like I just feel like Columbia was really at that time, like mm-hmm. early two thousands. Columbia was 
I mean, they were great. They totally. Had a lot of great stuff. Well, so, so like everybody was comparing them to, um, like Blink and Green Day and Good Charlotte and Lit. Um, and I think it's crazy because I think this is a case of a band being, uh, ahead of their time and maybe me not noticing, noticing it then because it didn't exist. But we had texted this last week about how, like, I really feel like this record influenced new, what I would call Americana punk bands. Um, there are a lot more new punk bands that sound like this record than there were back then. And yeah. And it took 15 years for it to happen. I know. You know what I mean? Like that. And I didn't even think about it till you texted that. Immediately. I I was like, you're right. Yeah. You you don't have, I feel like you don't have your gaslight anthems and the Menzingers. Like you don't have bands that sound quite like they do without this record. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe those guys have never heard this record. I doubt it. I, I doubt it, but I don't know. And, And to be fair, it's probably because, Neither one of those genres were, it's not like the Ataris invented the Americana genre, right, but as totally. far as it being kind of a punk thing, right. uh, that felt newer. And also, um, that was just not on, I don't think anyone's radar, radar in the yeah. early 2000s. Like I didn't hear like Americana for me was always Tom Petty. I mean, mm. to me, that's like the, the, the staple of that kind of genre. And other than Tom Petty, I felt like Tom Petty was doing it and bands that Tom Petty was in, but not, I don't feel like there was another band that I'm just, maybe I'm just missing something, but, uh, I don't remember hearing a band and be like, Oh, that's like Tom Petty. But I feel like Tom Petty has had a resurgence too over totally post like 2012. Like I feel like a lot of bands that grew up listening to him, you well, know, and I'm sure the Ataris are, I mean, that's it. I mean, cause he was a kid in the seventies. Well, and not and, in the eighties and nineties like we were. Chris is older. Yeah, than he, he's an older dude. Yeah, I mean, yeah. not uh, relative to the other artists that we've talked about on this show. Yeah, he was. He's a little. I mean, their career was like their career in punk rock was solidified. Well, this is their fourth record. Well, and 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 that's what I was going to say. To be fair to those earlier comparisons, this record did not sound like the records that came before it. So, no, but I hear hints of I hear hints of all the things that end up being solidified on this I, record. I, I that agree. I think maybe the right producer brought out. I agree, that, like, but I, I but they're more the refined. This. They they no, were refi- way they, more refined. So yeah, um, you know what? I had like I had like one really other fact about a specific song. I'm gonna go there, and, and if you guys are cool, that I'm just gonna read it now because I don't want to forget it later. Yeah, please um, do. Yeah. So I find this fascinating. But I read that uh, Boys of Summer was not supposed to be a single. Right. No, I knew this. And K-Rock just started playing it and other other stations started playing it. It blew up, became a single. And like even the late even Capital at the time was like, don't put it on your record because 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 oh, Columbia. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Columbia was like, don't put it on your record because radio stations are going to play it. And this blows my mind to think about that, especially because of how I, how I feel like radio mostly works. And that is, and, and I'm sorry if I'm, if I'm tainting radio for anybody, but you push a single, you pay a radio promoter to call radio stations. And they have this network of people that do the same, that call and request and get your, your song played. You pay a good amount of money. To get your no, song, they on made the radio. that illegal in the fifties, Kyle. You are incorrect. Oh Paola yeah, does not exist anymore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. They fixed. They already fixed that, man. What it's called. It, this is different. This is promoting. 
Oh, oh I yeah. see. They're just promoting singles no, yeah. uh, at, a, uh, at a small cost. See, I had heard a slightly different thing. And so okay. I am curious now to know what is real. So maybe we will research What's some more real? and put the notes. I had heard that that lab, the label wanted it to be a single and they were really not into that idea. Like, I mean, the, dude, I, I find not, that more yeah. likely than, than yeah. I do. But I also totally believe that K-Rock would have heard that and started playing <laughs> it, and it and it blew up. Like, that makes sense to me, too, because K-Rock always did do that. K-Rock did play stuff based on, like, we like this. They were yep. one of the only big radio stations in the country that yep. was still doing it in the early 2000s, because most of them had just been sucked up by, you know, most of, most of the radio stations also, to it, tell you guys, are all owned by two companies. Like, yeah. literally. It's like two or three uh, companies that own Clear Channel. Clear Channel. Uh, uh Oh, what's the other one that I just, I, Cumulus is mm. the other one. And then there are a few local ones. So like around here, there's one called Tyler Media that owns the rest of them. So all, every local radio station in Oklahoma City is owned by th- one of three companies. And they generally just, if it works, they do the exact same thing. They've got a top 40 one. They play the exact same top 40 rotation in yep. every major city in America. Yep. And that all kind of started in the late 90s, 2000s. And so K-Rock is one of the only ones that was like a big radio station, but they did what they wanted to. They like literally were like, we like this song or we like this band. And there are some bands, like Jimmy World was one of them. They played uh, Lucky Denver Mint is a big reason that like Mm -hmm. that got any, like Capital did not push that at all. And Lucky Denver Mint was something that started getting spun on uh, because it was on that Never Been Kissed soundtrack that we talked about on the Clearly episode. And uh, K-Rock starts playing it because they liked it. And like, and that actually kind of like, you know, helped launched it but it was not because capital was like here's the single we need to push it and so i i, I, I did it to you Blake. columbia oh did i say capital <laughs> no i was no i was saying capital for jimmy world oh gotcha capital i was okay. saying capital didn't push uh lucky denver mint that well was just forget K-Rock. what i said so, you're still smart and i'm still i am still saying the right label uh names so uh that neither one of those stories would surprise me but i do i know they were at least hesitant one way or the other because it was supposed to be just like this cool cover on the album and not obviously single. I don't think most people want their single to be a cover. Cause then, you know, even if it's a cool cover, it's, uh, it's not the get same. defined by it. And it's I thought it was, a, I thought it was a weird move. Honestly, is the, it was the most off putting thing about this record for me. Oh, I love I, the cover, but no, it's good. We'll but when I when we get there, yeah, but, but I'm with you, Kyle. Like when I first listened to it, I was like, Oh, cool cover. Like it, it you know, it didn't really, yeah. you know, I, I, bands like this didn't really put covers on records. That wasn't a thing you did, was it? No, we no we had all the like pop or Pops. punk goes blah 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 stuff. Right? No, you, you know? did it like that, but you never yeah. just slid a cover on into your, your record. record. <laughs> it just didn't, no. I, just I feel like it didn't it. happen as much back then. Um, but I do feel like that's a well. We'll talk about that maybe when we get there. So um, I mean, that's yeah. that's that's the gist of it. Like there there may be a, be a couple of the things that I throw in, but like you know. There's the there's the facts for you guys, so we can get into like first impressions and yeah, let's let's get to that. Uh, Kyle, why don't you go go first and tell us your first impression uh, since you're, you're well, the, you're the I remember the being put off by the Boys of Summer. That's not true. I, I was I was aware of this record before that came out as a single, but I mean right. it. Uh, man, I loved it, and and honestly, I loved Blue Skies. Uh, that I did was, too. That, that's like that's a record that I loved, and so this was. This is one of those, um, and, and okay, they had a record in between Blue Skies and and this one, and it and I did forever, yeah, right? and I wasn't yeah. I wasn't as familiar with that record, and it wasn't wasn't quite for me. Um, that well, was the one that was the one that I got into. Them oh, okay, so I, like I love oh, that okay. one. 
Well, so I mean, it's kind of like, glad, glad to hear it. Uh, it, it just was like, it wasn't one of my faves and honestly I slept on it. You know what I mean? I just didn't yeah. listen to it a bunch and then, and for whatever reason I was primed and ready to go for this record. And so when it came out and I got it, got my hands on it, dude, um, I have very vivid memories of working at, uh, the deli and cleaning dishes and just <laughs> freaking listening to this whole record and, and loving it. And like I said, uh, it, it just, it just encapsulates this moment in time for me. I was falling in love with my, my now wife. I was playing in a band that I loved and just falling in love with writing songs and playing music and starting to, uh, travel more with that band, which he, you know, he goes through some of that stuff lyrically on this record. And like, it, it just, it hit me. It was, it was right time, right place. And, uh, not to spoil the ending, um, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't just then, like I listen to it now and it still, still hits. So. Yeah. Chris, what about you? Uh, first impressions. Yeah. I mean, I, or the I band a, both. Well, I was a huge, I was already a huge Atari's fan, uh, cause of blue skies. Um, and I listened to the, they, had, they, they released this EP that had San Diego's high school football rules on it and a few other songs. And I listened to that thing religiously. Um, and my friend, <clears throat> my really good friend Amber worked at the CD. I don't remember what it was called then. Uh, by this, by two thousand three, was it Blockbuster Music? She mm. worked there, which is right next door to where Kyle sometimes. Didn't you work at that City Bite sometimes? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, because I, I feel like there's a pretty good chance. I remember Amber called me, and I was like, "And I, 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 you know, I need a record." And she's like, "You should buy the new Atari's record. It came out today." And I didn't even know it was coming out, so I just like drove there. I remember like getting the record, getting a sandwich getting in my car and listening to it and just so we I saw like, each other on that day potentially maybe yeah no probably. i feel like it, it's very high chance that that could happen and you know that probably I, yeah i probably would have been very happy because i would have just spent probably all the money i had <laughs> sounds like it was about 12 bucks <laughs> yeah. yeah i bought the cd i bought a sandwich i was probably done for a few weeks uh so i was really enjoying myself i was out in the town um and yeah from the that this that you know those kind of distorted guitarist right at the beginning i was totally sold because I, I i loved blue skies but there was something right away like when you started listening to this record that was uh like you could tell like he had kind of gone down a different path and that it, it was going to be kind of interesting um and um it yeah i i just remember i i think i listened to this record like a thousand times in a row <laughs> after after yeah, the first I listen it's pretty fair <laughs> Uh, and it, and yeah. it also heavily influenced, uh, like the music I was making heavily. Like I, I, I'm, you know, very, very certain this band played a big part in like the songwriting I did after that. Me and Danny. Dude, that's crazy. Yeah. You know, that's crazy that you mentioned that because obviously not everybody listening is going to know that, but you guys definitely were, you guys definitely were a more rock and roll punk band than, than pop punk, you know? And, and, it, and it was because of this, it, the timing of us kind of converting was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, yeah, Chris we were, Rowe. Yeah. Because, you know, before yeah. that, we were good. <laughs> we actually, I think we kind of just, I think we just followed him a year behind. Like, I think we were a Blue Skies <laughs> band. And then, like, when this record came out, we were a Solana Story band. <laughs> well, okay. It's funny you mentioned that because I, I was going to say, first of all, that, yeah, I, so I didn't really, I did go back and get Blue Skies, but I, I think the production production being mm. so bad on it is because like honestly. in it forever is pretty good it's not as polished as this one but it's like it's better production than blue skies and so i think that's why i couldn't get into blue skies then it's because like 
once I start with better production, it's really Going hard backwards. for me to go backwards. Yeah. As And so I never love Blue Skies. I like a couple of the songs on there for sure. Um, uh, it's a good record, like without a doubt. But I, so In This Forever is the one that I came in on. And so, but this one was just like, I mean, a major label, label budget. Um, I also think that he was just hitting a stride. I mean, there's the quote about, I was reading a little bit of the record and like, like apparently he was just like sick of writing songs about girls. So he goes back to his hometown and just writes this whole thing. That's just like all nostalgia essentially. Mm-hmm. So it's already got nostalgia built into it. The first time you listen to it, because we're, uh, you know, I'm 20 the year this comes out. I'm not quite 20. So I'm 19 when it comes out and you guys are 20. I mean, so, you know, you're just enough outside of high school that like you like remember like whatever fondly or not or whatever, but at least those friends and like this whole record is just about like that. It's about hanging out with friends and that kind of stuff. And it's not like, um, it's nostalgic without trying to, it's not like a lot of country music now where it's just about like, Hey, remember when we'd hang out and drink beers and blah, 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 as if like nothing's good now. It doesn't, doesn't feel like that's what he's saying it's more like hey just like this was part of life and it was great and uh and i don't know it was it was nostalgic without just being like it's authentic for the past yeah if that makes sense anyway i think he nailed it i mean i think like as far as like there's only like two love songs on the record technically and they're not like every other pop punk pop punk band was at the time (laughs) everyone else was like every song was basically whining about not being able to be with a girl i mean like yeah and I loved all that stuff too. I'm not dogging on it because I was writing that same kind of stuff at the time. But Chris, I, like listening to this, I do. I listen to this album fairly often, and and listening to it for this. By the way, it's like thunderstorming here now, so it's going to be all over this podcast. Oh, cool! So, so anyway, I miss I miss those Oklahoma storms so uh, much, dude. So, uh, but I listened to it, and the first time through, as I'm trying to like think of notes to write, I was just like, "Oh my gosh, how did I not realize how much this album influenced Minutes Too Far, mm. Chris and I's <laughs> yeah. band?" Uh, and I think it's because I always attributed that to Tom Petty because like Danny and I specifically were such big Tom Petty fans. But now I realize, that, like, yeah, it was Tom Petty and it was, which I'm sure, you know, Chris Rose obviously influenced by Tom Petty too. But like, yeah, the Ataris were definitely in the same, you're right. We had a little more rock than the punk thing by that point. And I think that the Ataris had more to do with it than I realized at the time, for sure. Um, I mean, I think that... um I think also when I listened to it, I was kind of surprised. I feel like there are songs that could be interpreted as love songs or just just a you know like a relationship song, not necessarily. Well, but they're like, like love a romantic songs relationship about friendship. They Ex- feel like. exactly like, that's yeah. what I mean. Like not not a not a rom- not necessarily a romantic relationship, and and we've talked about this before that those songs are special and they're and they're less frequent. Uh, well, they were less frequent before before emo, right? Like before this genre. So, well, yeah, we talked about it on that Fallout Boy episode about how like the song about "Hey Chris, we're our only friend, we love you," and, uh, and and I was just like, "There's not enough of that." Like, yeah. and this whole album is essentially that. It's like you know, um, yes, the the world was so ripe with like you said about songs about relationships and girls and when she doesn't love me or when she cheated on me. Yeah. Speaking it of was, Fallout Boy and the Hey Chris song, Blake, I swear if you if you ruin my reply for me, <laughs> if you I'm have some gonna... horrible story about what <laughs> I'm so sorry. 
I have been known to ruin things. I'm kind of known as either the rule Nazi or the ruiner of fun. So I'm sorry. <laughs> but um, I, my other first impression just for them as a band in general is that I just, I like his voice. I like the the graveliness of it. Yeah. yeah. I don't understand how he does that night after night, honestly. But um, but I, I do like it. And I like that quality in his voice, which I will talk more about on some specific songs uh, as we get into that. Um, but that, that was kind of my first impression. Same thing. Yeah. Production value was up quite a bit on this one. I feel like the songs were like built in nostalgia and, uh, which for me was even like the cover because like I love Don Henley and Mike Campbell. And so like, that was already like nostalgic for me because that felt like my childhood. Although I guess that, yeah, that album came out in 91. Uh, so yeah. Shall we go to uh track by track? Let's do it. All right, so uh, title track is the first track. So long a story. Here we go. So long a story, yeah. I found a map to bury treasure. And even if we come home empty-handed, we'll still have our stories about our scars, pirate ships and wounded hearts, broken bones, and all the best of friendships. And when this hourglass is filtered out, Sorry to cut it off right before the halftime drumming, Chris. Uh, <laughs> I heard a little. Uh, Chris, your air drumming, let's go to you first. Air drumming always will get you the the first it's uh, funny. opinion on the song. It's funny. My note is outro so great, and that's exactly what you picked. Great minds, something, something. Right, Blake? Am I right? <laughs> something uh, like that, yes. Yeah, there's something about great minds. I don't know. I can't think of it right now. Uh, no, I, this song's... Uh, that it, it all builds up to the outro. I love that. Um, I also... Um, but, you know, it's funny, like you talked about the Goonies thing, Kyle, and I, th- th- there's some like winks. Oh, yeah. I don't think this song is about that, but it, is it? Or, well, or was I think he just he's like, tying the nostalgia of the he's movie tying to. It. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. But the song itself is not about like the story of the Goonies, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's like, oh, hidden treasure. Uh, you know, winky, winky. Like, I was like, I hear you, buddy. Because, um, yeah, I'm with I'm with Blake, by the way, uh, on the uh, story, I think. I always assumed that had something to do with his hometown. Um, and the album artwork is just like randomly weird. It, it's not Goonies-ish either. It's just like right. old pictures of the city. Um, I didn't even know it was in Oregon. I figured it was like a, a town in. Isn't he from the Midwest? Like Ohio? No, it's or Indiana. Something? Indiana. It's Indiana. A story that's in yeah. Oregon. Though. It's uh, Anderson, Indiana, which he mentions on the album. But right, know, but or, yeah, but a story is in Oregon. Oregon. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I I until this week I I always assumed Astoria was some city or some reference to. Indiana. I literally I don't know why I thought it was the street that he grew up on for yeah. some reason. Um, it makes that outro better, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you're right. That's totally a Goonies reference. I mean, like now it makes all the sense in the world. I don't know how I've listened to that over and over again and never, never caught it. Kyle, what are your thoughts on opening track? I mean, title track. You, you picked a clip, Blake. Great job. <laughs> that was I you try. at your best. Um, man, uh, I I love this song. What a freaking introduction track and that outro, man. It gets me every time. I I was pumped there when when he. You were talking about the gravelly quality to his voice. He also, man, he can belt too, you know, like yeah. he can just get yeah. loud and powerful. And I remember jamming this track. And when he goes into the, the, uh, this is my world and I'm taking it back. Oh man. I was just like, yeah, 
Me too. It's, it's funny. I don't like. He doesn't, <laughs> I also want to take it back. I would like to. He this doesn't strike me. He's not like. He's like the best lyricist in the world. Like I'm not like. Yeah. Of all the albums we do, it's like, and I don't pay attention a ton to lyrics, as I've mentioned before. It's not my favorite part of music, but he always has at least one line in a song that makes me go like, God, that's a really good lyric. And I totally. love the one in this one was, he, oh, hold on, where is it? They says, Oh, we said we would never fit in when we were really just like them. Like that's such a perfect example of being a kid of like, you uh-huh. think you don't fit in with people, but really no one feels like they fit in. <laughs> and I just thought that was a really good line as like, you know, instead of just singing about not fitting in, does that make sense? Like, yeah. I feel like everyone was singing about not fitting in and he was kind of like, yeah, we're, we're all the same kind of, I don't know. That's a good, good line that i liked i was gonna to me i was gonna say he also throws in the 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 line from that quote that i read to you guys earlier life is only as good as the memories we make um so from the guy with the last name hell yeah show notes that one uh let's go to takeoffs and landings Thoughts on the second track, takeoffs and landings. Uh, I'm still in. It kicks butt. It's a, <laughs> I'm still in. It's a it's a great song. They didn't screw it up. No, they did a really good second track. You know, this is really where uh, this was the song that made me go. Gosh, how did I not realize the influence on our band? It's the open <laughs> chord structure that is so much different than everything else oh. I was listening to at the time. Almost everything was power chords that kind of stuff. You'd have one guy rocking the power chords, another guy doing the octave thing or some sort of mm-hmm. quote unquote lead line for a punk pop band kind of thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like not complicated. <laughs> Maybe three, if you were feeling really powery, Woo! you'd really get three <laughs> strings in there. And so, um, you know, but like, I feel like all of their stuff and, and even the albums before this, it's like they use a lot of like one, one guitar is maybe doing kind of power chords. The other one's doing like the open chords. And like, I love the chords on that pre-chorus like that. Uh, it's just a really cool progression. And um, his superpower might be pre-choruses. I, I think I agree with you, dude. He's really all, good at them. That's like all my notes are about. Chris Rose pre-choruses and how it ruined me as a songwriter forever because every song I wrote took like three minutes to get to the chorus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, at some point when someone was like, hey, you should be out of the first chorus by the first minute, I was like, oh boy, I, I, I'm I have, not I have making a, it. I have several notes about that coming later. Yeah, the, this song is so great because it, it, you're right it's the pre-chorus into the chorus and you can't even tell like which one's better like they're both great it's like this is almost too much good stuff for one song um, yeah and the pre-courses are longer than normal pre-courses there's not the normal oh, yeah. like two bars no, or whatever it's like yeah, a no, full-on yeah, yeah eight bar thing or something yeah i can see why somebody like trombino would be like ah, i don't know man because if you're like a <laughs> no i'm serious if you're if, if you're like a classically trained producer that's trying to make pop music that people are going to buy like and you heard the song you'd be like dude you got to get to the money maker a little get quicker to the you hook. Can't just, get yeah to you it. can't just sit here and, and and build everybody up for 20 minutes um but all that to, all that aside i think this was one of the songs that was on like mp3.com before 
uh, they released the record, and I remember absolutely loving it. And it Blast always makes you want to get the past. Mp3.com. Yeah, remember the bands would always put like two songs before. You can only have was three it on, on pure there. volume? Maybe <laughs> one or the other. They were basically the same, right? <laughs> same idea. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, but yeah, it's it's a really good second track though, and I yeah, really, it always makes really me want to get on an airplane song. too. Yeah, mm. yeah, it really does capture that kind of thing. And I've I've read some stuff where some people were like saying some of these lyrics are cheesy and stuff like that. I was just like, I don't know, man. Like I, those people it, can suck it, Blake. Yeah, I, that's what I kind of feel like. I'm like, why well, I, I, we're listening to music for an escape? Like, uh, come yeah. on, yeah, bring it on. I mean, like when I watch Friends, I'm not like, oh, this is a dark storyline. Like it's funny. <laughs> There's a laugh track. I'm gonna keep watching it. <laughs> also, I kind of take offense to someone calling these lyrics cheesy because it's like. Sugar Ray existed at the same time, <laughs> and I'm not. I'm to not fair, even. This was hating. a critic review. It like critic reviews oh, okay. are always the worst. But I was reading a couple of reviews from back then. Just like you know, it's 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 interesting. Like when we go back and listen to these albums twenty albums, twenty years later, sometimes I'm like, well, what was what were people saying at the time? You know, it's just interesting those, to see like what was those going jerks on. were lump, those jerks were lumping everything together that even yep. had a hint of pop punk. They were like. Yeah. They would just jump on it, warmed over Blink One Eighty Two. Every right. every band. They didn't know. Yeah. Also, I I really want I real quick want to say that I'm not trying to be a hater. I I got no problems with Sugar Ray back then. So, got no I'm glad problems. you I'm glad you made that distinction. I, I think, just want to make uh, it clear in case Mark McGrath wants rem- me to be his backup on Rock and Roll Jeopardy someday. I'm, also, is I was that a very. Thing? Also, I was very clear, Chris, in the way that I phrased that. I had no beef with Sugar Ray back then. <laughs> Have you seen that YouTube video though of the guy saying uh, "sugar gay" and <laughs> and he like turns around and he goes, "What did you say?" And I was like, "Dude, I'm that's me. Like, I'm that kid that says that and does not expect him to turn around and like talk to me about it." Oh, no. You should look it up. It's uh, he he gets in the guy's face and you're I like, definitely will. Uh, uh, you're like that that poor kid. Like he 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 did not make. He had no idea what was coming. <laughs> he didn't know. All right, let's go to track three in this diary. <laughs> Now that I think about it, he just says the name of the street in that song. I don't know why the hell I thought it was Astorio because he says 2018 Riverside, but that might not be his house. I don't know. I don't know why I had that in my head, but now I totally don't. Uh, Opinions on In This Diary? Either one of you. I'll go. Uh, Man, being grown up isn't half as fun as growing up. It's a good line, man. And that is definitely. Oh my gosh, that's one that it hit me hard then. It hits me harder now, right? And and this is a example, I think, of what we were talking about earlier with him and nostalgia. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna read some lyrics. All the nights we stayed up talking, listening to 80s songs, and quoting lines from all those movies that we love, it still brings a smile to my face. He writes, uh, in particular, this song. He writes in a way that like. It's not limiting. Anybody could listen to that and like there's a something comes to mind. You know what I mean? We've like all done that. Exactly. And and like, dude, one of the best things about music is that 
is that it speaks to all people, right? Like it means something to individuals. Uh, you feel like an ownership or like you relate to it. And this song is just so well written as far as that goes. Like he, he is describing, you know, all the things that I was feeling at the time. And, and it's because it's just really well written. He's, he's being so specific and vague enough to kind of let us in and like feel what he's feeling. So anyway, really well. Dude, all, 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 I don't know how to put into words, like how the song made me felt. Cause like he, Chris Rowe and my career were like the guys living the life that I wanted. I was like, I, this is what I want. I want to be in a band. I don't care if I'm in a van or a tour bus. And I just want to like be with my friends and just go all over the country. And, you know, he wrote this song and I could just, you like that, the imagery of like the, the wheels, the bus wheels, uh, hmm. something like that. What does he say? Um, I'm, I'm not, oh, it's not coming to me right I don't now. Have the lyrics in front of me. Yeah. Damn it. Um, but, but yeah, it's something about like the, you know, something on the bus and like, I always like can picture like, you know how the, the air after a show, like the musty air and the smell of the diesel fumes when there was a bus outside of the venue. Like I, I always like, it just takes me right there. And I just think about this guy, like he lived like the rock and roll life. Like he, he played the small venues. I mean, the first time I saw the Ataris was at music dimensions, you know, with like 50 people. Um, and you it, could fit 50 was, people in that room. <laughs> yeah. It was, the, was it was, yeah. it was very cramped. It was the one on Portland. Real tiny. Yeah. Yeah. Like 10th and, and Portland, right? Yeah. And if Ish, I, yeah. Yes, and if I die of lung cancer someday, it was because of that show. Because of <laughs> that, that venue. place was disgusting. Um, so many good memories there. But man, when you get fifty people in there, everybody's like smoking. And shows back then were just health hazards. They probably still are. Anyway, long story short, this song always just made me like feel like I was in there with him in in those moments. He as he was living yeah. this rock star life, and um, mm. I, I don't like you said it. It's hard to encapsulate that in let people still like feel like they can relate to it without just being like, I'm in, you know, this bus and the drivers from Nashville and you know, like it's, it's just, it kind of makes you feel like, like you're part of his adventure, which I, I thought was really, really sweet. I thought it was sweet. Yeah. I gotta be honest. I thought it was really sweet. This is sweet. Yeah, I've heard it. I've heard a few songs that are clearly about being on tour. I mean, cause every band's going to have one kind of thing, but the best ones are the ones that, uh, that people that never were in a band and went on tour still have some sort of connection to like, Oh, I have that feeling like get on the bus. It's time to go. Could might as well be getting the cards. Good. I mean, like we get that it's about, although my favorite nostalgic line would be, uh, about cherry Cokes, uh, Chris mm. and I's favorite beverage mm. of choice. Mm. Wish I had Cokes. One. Uh, I wish I had one. I've got a regular Coke in front of me, not a cherry one. So I'm slumming it tonight, but, uh, no, it's a good song. And I feel like this is the start of, well, it's really the next song. So let's, we'll, we'll do that on the next song. So, uh, but I was definitely into this when I was 20. I was already, you know, that's, uh, you know, I feel like the right age to be like optimistic, but you're still, you're older than high school, but you're not like, you don't quite feel like an adult when you're 20, especially if you're in a band sleeping on people's floors as I was <laughs> at that time. Um, and this just kind of cap, you know, kind of captures that and, uh, really well. So I was into it. Uh, even though, like I said, I, I feel like, you know, some people would almost say it's like a cheesy nostalgia or something, but it didn't, I don't know. It doesn't feel like that to me. It feels like, Oh, this is like a, I don't know. I like it. I can't put it into words very well. So, uh, but it's a very good song. So let's go to my reply. Appreciate, but can't accept. 
this an example of one that maybe has a better pre-chorus than chorus? I no, literally my note here is like yeah, 1 minute 24 seconds to get to the hook. And by the time you get to it, you're like, "Oh, I I kind of already like thought know, I was there." I was I thought I was there. Um and then I don't know if the chorus is as good as the pre-chorus. I don't know. It's not. I mean, it's it a good chorus. It's fine. Yeah. It, no, it's just fine, but it feels like I just pinned it on to something that was already perfect. I, I love the this pre-chorus song. The pre-chorus is awesome. Yes, I'm not knocking the song. I'm just saying, like, I almost feel like, like, yeah, I, I, I've always felt like that. Like, the just hold on part was, like, I liked it, the, the words, but, um, yeah. And then, and then um, the guitars in this song are really cool, too. I, I, the Atari's always did a good job with, like, having a little bit of subtle guitar effects that just, like, brought brought some of their music home. Uh, no, I love the clean guitar, like how yeah. super clean the guitar is. By the way, another thing no one in punk mm-hmm. bands was doing was any clean guitars on anything. Uh, so I love it. It's like super clean. Uh, and then I start listening to this other guy's production stuff, and I'm like, oh, that makes sense, actually. Like all yeah. these other bands, like Toad the Wet Sprocket was like uh, kind of had a lot of clean guitar stuff, a lot of chorusy stuff, and like Google Dolls obviously like became always doing acoustic stuff. But Boy Names Goo is kind of this nice uh, – you know, like a mix mixed between, between kind yeah. of a punk thing, but a kind of a rock thing. Like that's a cool album. Like that, Goo Goo Dolls kind of became like, Hey, we're going to write these, you know, sweeping after that Iris song, it kind of became, everything was like that after that, but <laughs> we like money. We like money. <laughs> we love money. Guys, but, it turns uh, out I love making money. They're <laughs> yeah, writing good too. songs. They're great songs. No, and they, no, they songs. they've got good songs, but like that boy named Goo has that that this same kind of quality of this re- of this record. Mm-hmm. I feel like the problem with Google Dolls is that, that they let the bass player write the song sometimes, and it's like, oh god, they're so bad. <laughs> Those every like, and there's the, it, like it, it's like he writes three or four songs on a record. And I'm like, I'm not paying for those four songs. <laughs> it was this pre iTunes, you couldn't do it. Um, but I was gonna say this is. For me, this is kind of the start of it's a sad song with kind of an upbeat feel. But to me, this middle chunk of the record is what like sets this record apart from everything else that was coming out at the time. So these next four songs, so my reply, unopened letter, saddest song. It's really those it's really those three with a little bit of in this diary before it. I feel like that's like the core of the record. That's what I think of when I think of like what's the feeling of this record. It's those it's this middle part. We're not quite in the middle, but you know what I mean. We're getting Kyle, I do any any yeah. thoughts? Well, I, I, sorry, I just oh, want to say one more thing. I, yeah. I I bet Kyle's going to expand on this a little bit, but it's just really also, like, some people say this guy can be kind of a jerk, Chris Rowe. I, I don't know. I We played a show with them, and they, they were the sweetest guys in the world. We had nothing but good things. But I played a solo thing with him, acoustic, and he was awesome. Yeah, was... I, I I think maybe he had a rough run. I mean, Billy Joe Armstrong I think so too. Like, got drunk and, like, yelled at everybody, and he's, like, a sweetheart, too. Everybody has bad days. It's just yeah. when you're in music or TV or it's something, fr- you know. It's in front of people. Yeah. But it was it was really nice that he took the time to write this song for somebody that had taken the time to write him a letter. I thought that was really cool. Very cool, Kyle. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, dude. Like, uh, real quickly, I'll say we're four songs in. We're still kicking butts. Like, such a solid, good record. And and then to go back to what Chris is saying, in case anybody didn't know, a fan, a super fan, wrote him a letter from a hospital, and basically. I mean, all that we know is that she was in critical condition and like probably going to die. And I just think it is the, the nicest thing for this dude to write this song. Like, yeah, he doesn't have to do that. Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, you know, it's kind of a freaking buzzkill, uh, to, for, for us to hear about it, but it's still like this, 
man, just what a good song. What a nice thing to do. I love the, uh, I love the line. I appreciate, but I can't accept the thank you note that's sealed with your last breath. Uh, and then it's so sad. Yeah. It's so sad. And then, uh, also neither you mentioned it, but the, the outro gives me goosebumps on this one. The wake up, uh, wake up. Yep. You gotta believe. Oh man, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, another great butt. outro. Yeah. He's great got some, outro. It's weird how like artists like this, like they've got these gifts, like Chris Rowe pre-chorus out and bringing it home on the outro. Well, classic you Chris. Guys, you guys have mentioned it on, on like taking back Sunday, like with him, he, some of his outros are so good. It's like, bro, how, like that can't just be an outro, you know, yeah, like, move it. it's move almost it. like if he wasn't so good at pre-choruses, <laughs> those outros could be really great pre-choruses. It's like, man, he's cursed. I just want to be like, he's cursed like, his, with his gift. Like minority report, like with his songs, like, Oh, just over here. And just oh, now it's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, great, <laughs> great, great outro, example. great song, and and like what a sweet sentiment. And I, mm. I mean, honestly, I I never met the guy, but like, if anybody said something bad to me about him, I'd be like, you know what? I mean, you know, he wrote a song to a dying fan, so kick rocks. You know, I you think should, you, I think. <laughs> sorry, go ahead. I think what happens with everyone, not everyone, but so many bands, especially now, he was a little older, but like with so many bands. At the height of your popularity, it's easy to get a giant head. I don't know. I was never in a giantly popular band, but I imagine it's mm-hmm. very simple to yeah. get cocky and 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 be an a hole about stuff. Like, I'm sure it's easy, and I think that I think they're probably. I know at one point, like it seemed like there was. I think did we okay? Did you go with me, Chris, down to Dallas to see them with? Um, I think further Ju- seems forever. Juliana theory. Maybe Juliana Theory was on it too. Yes, Juliana yes, Theory it was further, further seems what, forever in the arts. What a great show with Jason. Further seems forever, Jason yes. style. Anyways, great show. And I feel like at that point, did they play Boys of Summer? I don't think they did. Did they? No, they didn't. But they, yeah, I think and I know I, what you're I gonna think, say. I think they resented it at the time. Yeah. Yes. Come around a few years later. Uh, I literally play like a. It's like an acoustic show. It's like me opening and then him on acoustic guitar. And I feel like it was. I didn't talk to him the night of that Atari, that Atari's Further Things Forever show, but it did seem a little. He seemed a little. I just remember feeling like, oh, he seems like he's not having a good night. Like he's not feeling the crowd or something. I don't know what the deal was. And it seems like they weren't happy about Boys of Summer at the time. I think that had just come out. Um, but like by that acoustic show, he was awesome. Like I think he played it. I'm pretty sure. Like, which you don't need to do it like an acoustic thing with you know 50 people there or whatever. But like. I just feel like sometimes that like you kind of need to like crash a little bit. I mean, like Ryan Key mm-hmm. from Yellow Card, we've talked yeah. about saying like, like admitting that he was like, I got out of control with my ego at one point. And then like, it took me like, it took making that album that like didn't do well. And like to kind of come crashing back down to earth and realize that like I'd been a jerk to a lot of people. And so it's, it's I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm not saying he was ever a jerk. He might've just had a bad night that night, but it seems like, you know, it's an easy thing to do in rock and roll is to get a big head about something. And I think sometimes it takes you to kind of come crashing down to uh, realize that like, oh, well, never mind. But I agree. Kyle, you write a song for like a dying fan. I'm not going to call you a jerk for sure. <laughs> did, like, that doesn't did Dave, seem... Dave, did Dave Grohl ever get a big ego or did he stay nice and even the whole I think career? if you, I think if you watch that documentary about the Foo Fighters, he basically says we went through all the crap that every band goes through, but as a platinum selling artist like we went through all the growing pains of like members leaving and fighting and i think that 
I think he realizes in that documentary, he talks about how he thinks that, that he didn't handle the, like when they were doing color in the shape and Gil Norton was calling their bass player and drummer, the rhythmless section, (laughs) 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 which is harsh. But then Dave Grohl comes in and just redoes all that stuff without basically telling them. And then they find out about it. But like in the documentary, he says as much as basically being like, that was not a, that was not a cool move. Like, I mean, like, so I don't, I don't think it was externally as much as it was maybe internally, but he was like, I was also dealing with the death of my best friend and, you know, like all these other things in life, you know, it was like Kurt Cobain has killed himself. He tries to do this whole thing. It blows up. He starts a band, you know, anyway. So I think yeah. everyone goes through it in some way. If you're that big of a band, especially if you blow up like that. Um, and so, cause, and, and certainly this was the case with them. They'd made three albums and been pretty, you know, they'd had some yeah. popularity, but then no, the Ataris know, were this huge album when this like, record came boom. out. Yeah. yeah. They were like, they played Warp Tour before this album came out and i mean they played the main stage and everybody was going crazy like blink 182 played like after them um yeah. and they did like the radio still sucks like their 30 second song from that short music from short people sampler and like people were freaking out because at the end he goes and i really think kid rock sucks and everybody was like oh my god i also hate kid rock ah, 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 ah. <laughs> like our faces were melting it was awesome <laughs> Oh, that's so freaking funny. Uh, okay, let's go to unopened letter to the world. this song it's just really good uh that's my note kyle (laughs) um really great song uh how many songs are we in five six and uh yeah we're track five all of them great so far uh i was gonna say you know we talked about how cool it was for him to write a song to a dying fan we've talked about how well he writes and just kind of being a little bit uh, i mean a little bit different what we haven't mentioned Chris just mentioned Blink-182. Like, here's this dude coming out while you got Blink-182, which are wonderful. We love Blink-182. We've talked about two of their records already. But, like, this is not dick and fart jokes. You know what I mean? Like, this is is the opposite of that. It's so far from it. And I think it's why, like, guys like us that really love this genre of music, it's offensive for someone to say that this is the same as that music. It's not at all the same. Um, Anyway. That was my little my little rant about someone saying the Ataris were like Blink-182. But um, yeah, great song. Uh, great record so far. I feel like this song kind of defines the record for me. But mm. yeah, it was a big like word. It's just, well, like as far as like it captures kind of all the things going on mm-hmm. yeah. in the record. That's just me, maybe. Chris, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it. it uh, I agree. And it's also it's weird. It's like, we're kind of getting to this weird, this changing moment in the record. I think where things kind of change a little bit. Um, and this, this is like the last of the songs that have this almost exact same mid tempo vibe. There's some more coming later, but, um, and the lyrics, this song are just absolutely amazing. Um, yeah, it's once again, kind of cheesy, 
but not like so cheesy. Um, but uh, I always like love when somebody had like kind of like a little tick, like a little turn on idea, like, uh, oh, wouldn't it be interesting if there was a letter that I wrote and, you know, after I passed away, you know, what would it say? What would it be about? I, I, and to be able to write a song like that, it's like, that's, it's not easy. And um, it's a cool song. Cool tune. Love it. Agree with you guys. And no songs about girls so far. We're five tracks. Oh, in. good point. I kind of, yeah. Which was like I said, didn't happen. I don't. I can't think of another album that had five. The first five tracks, and not one of them was about a girl in the early two thousands emo punk genre. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, it would be hard to find something. Hard like, to find I mean, one. no, no effects didn't really sing about girls, but other well, than that. yeah. I mean, I'm not saying there weren't exceptions, but uh, definitely not in anything really remotely yeah. related to pop punk. Uh, let's go to the saddest song. Chris, what are your thoughts? I was like, why didn't he pick the part where he said, forgive me? Well, like, it literally got in there. Like, yeah, no, you got it. You got it right at the I end. I barely that got was, it in there. Once again, bro, bringing out the freaking big guns on the outro. Um, yeah. You know, you've got the Jimmy at World scratch fill in this song, which I, I, I always love with Banjo. Um, and then, um, dude, okay, so f- funny. My Reply, Sada song, both exactly one minute, 24 seconds before they get to the hook exactly what? that's crazy um, so i i was like because once again i was listening to the song and i was like man he is taking a while to get get to the get to the hook hook there um and it, it, same thing like long long pre-chorus that's great that's great and then of course it's great um so yeah this is definitely a, a, like part of his unique style yeah i mean it really is i mean <laughs> like the the title's a little too on the nose uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it really is a super bummer of a song Whoa. to have like a five-year-old kid that you never see and i don't know the story behind all of that but like i can't imagine that as a, the father of a not only a five-year-old but uh, two other kids too like not being with them all the time but um so it's definitely a bummer but like i i love the song the piano in it is is really good and i think at the time it felt like oh a piano that's a novelty thing i felt like that was the thing that you you know put in there every once in a while but like now it just feels like it like should have been there like like that all of these decisions were the right thing because of the i think that it lends itself to that kind of americana feel that you were talking about kyle Mm. um and it's a great kind of tack piano sound like it's got it just it it cuts through perfectly i love it kyle what are your thoughts on it uh man we talked about the last one being sad. This one's freaking sad. Or excuse me, uh, my reply. But uh, this one's freaking sad too. That's some heavy content. Um, and also, birthday buddy, I'm surprised you didn't mention, I really love hearing Mike Herrera belt out those background vocals on this one. Oh, is he on this song too? Wait, That's he's him. on this song too? I thought I he was. No, okay. he's. I mean, I know for sure Am he's I on Radio 2. No, I mean, he's on the record, but I, I know he's on Radio number 2. 
And well, I know I'm, I'm, I could be smoking doobies, but I like I feel like that's his 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 uh, voice belting through in the background. Uh, also, you mentioned waiting a minute and twenty four seconds uh, for the hook, but man, this I think this is a good hook. I really really enjoy oh, no, this good. chorus. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then um, and then yeah, another great outro. Man, he's just he's I I think he's just a good. He might be a good songwriter, guys. Yeah. Uh, Glenn Phillips is on this record too, the guy from Toe the Wet Sprocket, but I can't figure out where. <laughs> I can't find anywhere there on the internet no that says notes where of where they are. Where they anywhere. are. I can't find it anywhere. I tried to look on Glenn uh, Phillips all music. It just credits him on the album, but not the song. I couldn't find my liner notes from the CD originally. I think that probably got yoinked at some point. Uh, so anyway, I can't figure out where they are. I know my career is on radio number two. I can tell it's him. Uh, but I can't figure out where Glenn Phillips is. And I assume that's the production buddy thing. Maybe they just also happen to be friends with Toe the Wet Sprocket. But uh, yeah, so these four, those four songs, In This Diary, My Reply, Unopened Letter to the World, and The Saddest Song, to me, are kind of like the core of this record. I mean, to me, they, in a row, they kind of define the record for me. That's like what I think about when uh, I think about it. So let's go to Summer 79. All the cool kids crowding around the air hockey table Summer seventy nine. Uh, yeah the the fifty or not the fifty. I guess it's kind of fifty vibes, but the you know the nostalgia vibes are strong with this song. Um, yeah. I wrote. I I don't know if Kyle would agree with me in this. I wrote that it kind of had ever passing moments vibes, which kind of felt to yeah. me like, uh, like he hit 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 his Costello stride, um, just about three years after Herrera, just a little behind. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Costello I see vibe. <laughs> I I um I really like the uh I, I like how subtly they do things on this record. Like you're talking about the piano part on the last song, like on this one, the end of that chorus that you just played has a halftime and like on every other pop punk record or punk record that existed at the time, if you went halftime, you were balls to the wall halftime <laughs> and like, like everything was cut everything half, yeah. was halftime <laughs> and the fact that like the drums just go halftime there at the end of the chorus and it's just kind of like this nice feel um love the song and also man again i'm just like relating to him uh who i mean we're all we're all freaking mighty ducks kids we all saw that movie so we were rocking we are the champions you know like mm-hmm. any any time we could we were listening to that song and so I, I relate to this one. Um, really like it. I actually don't love the lyrics on this one. Like they're a little <sighs> too much for me. Oh, no. um, and it's not my favorite song about singing another song. Uh, I do love that subgenre of what is your favorite song? About anthems about singing song? other anthems. Um, I'd have to think about that. What was my favorite? Um, I know there's like a million of them, but uh, maybe it's because we are the champions. Wouldn't be 
the the Queen song that I would be. Uh, we used to drive around the airport before nine eleven. I mean, now you'd get arrested for this, but just like going around, like driving around with like Bohemian Rhapsody and all of us like hanging our heads out the window, like screaming that at the top of our lungs. So so maybe I'm more of a you know a crazy Rhapsody. little thing called love Bohemian oh. Rhapsody, uh, somebody to love, you know. Hmm. Don't get me wrong, We Are the Champions, fantastic song, but I think of that of, of being in an arena, less of uh, driving around singing it. But that's a, I'm not like nitpicking it. Just this one feels a little too on the nose on the uh, okay. nostalgia for me. But it's fun. Forced, it's a forced down your throat nostalgia. Yeah. And not, yeah. I think that's what it is. It feels like almost too much. Now, I do love the line, and the reason I included that clip, like, I love the line about, like, hey, my best friend likes you. That's like such a classic. Uh, adolescent childhood thing mm-hmm. of like I just remember that happening all the time not to me because no one but like you know no one liked you um, no I don't feel like that happened very much to me <laughs> when I was younger I feel like I aged uh, much better uh, than I was when I was a teenager which is probably good for my ego and stuff like that <laughs> none of Chris and I were not uh, the best looking 14 uh, year olds I like, disagree I you're, you're handsome any stretch of the magic you're a handsome 14 year old but I feel like we were I, handsome twenty somethings. I feel like we no, were no, better no, catches in our twenties. My dad, than... my dad told me it would all work out. But yeah, in middle school, I I, I was devastatingly disgusting. Just acne, <laughs> uh, you know. Yeah, I glasses, had the acne. Not tall. I had told all my friends that I was going to be super tall someday, and they better watch out. Did not work out. Didn't Don't ever happen. Write checks your butt can't cash like that, guys. <laughs> I cannot emphasize this enough. There was no evidence that that was going to happen. Your dad's not that tall. No, anything, my right? my. Okay. I think my. I think neither's your I, mom. No, no. I think it just it was easy to believe. Uh, you know, because it was like there. You know, there. There's this mythical point in the future where th- everything's going to work out for me, and and if right. I just keep talking about that, then it'll take my mind off the. Um, you know, numbing sadness that I feel night after night in my middle school. Uh, uh, yeah, no one was coming up to us and saying my best friend likes you, but we were probably going up to other people and saying like, hey, my best friend likes you. Maybe that's more of what happened. Uh, okay, let's go to the hero dies in this one. Feels like a dream. I'm waiting for someone just to wake me up from this Thoughts on the hero dies in this one. I actually picked a bad clip there. I'm sorry. I like- That's okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so I like this one. I like th- I. This is kind of a weird note, but I like the way he structures his lyrics on this one. He starts off as I leave here today, gets into as I sit here all alone, as I sit here all alone, and then um, oh, I guess he does that one twice. But I I love the I also love the outro. Stay who you are. Um, it's not my favorite track on the record, but I think it's still a good song. But it feels like the middle of the record track that you yeah. put, I'm like, it's like, yeah, it's not my favorite song, but when you've got as many good songs as this record has, like, it's still a really yeah, good song. Yeah, it's got 12 songs. It, you know, I don't, I'm not saying like cut it from the record, but I am saying 12 songs is a long record, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. And really, yeah. And uh, I do, uh, 
I really love the bridge on this one, which I'm like, I yeah. can't believe I didn't pick the bridge in the outro of uh, Stay Who You Are. Like, I love, like, him kind of screaming that or whatever. Um, Chris, what are your yeah. thoughts? Yep, all about the bridge. Yeah, all the bridge about is great. How did I not pick the and, bridge? Yeah, well, no, it's all right. I mean, uh, you're, you, you, know, you I pretty think the much nail I, it 99 times out of 100. So I think the reason I, I didn't is because it was like it was longer than the clip could be. And so I think I was like, well, well maybe I'll get a verse and a chorus. Yeah, this song does kind of go on and on. <laughs> it's, it does. Like, it does kind of go It's on not on. my favorite song. Yeah, I, yeah. I think I, what I wrote was... Uh, uh, you know, they did. He does the pre-chorus chorus fake out. You know, where you go back yeah. to the verse, and and I was like, this is not. This song's not good enough to pull that trick. It's it's just not. Um, you gotta you gotta save that trick for some for something a little better. But all that to say, like the bridge is great on the song. Um, and yeah, 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 it's, it's a good. middle song. Like you guys said, middle song, middle of the album. Let's go to all you can ever learn is what you already know, which cannot possibly be true. But here we go. the melody on that verse like it just like the way it dips down and comes back up like uh-huh. it's a really good melody and uh and i feel like he most of his best melodies are like pre-choruses and choruses and stuff like that but like that this one has a really good verse melody which i feel like is an underappreciated value in a song sometimes uh kyle what are your thoughts same exact note love the melody on this one um and then i also really like that guitar part at the end of the first part of that clip that you played yeah uh, like that a lot. It actually, it's funny now. I feel like I'm hearing MXPX and everything now, and it's weird because we've talked about how this isn't a punk record, but you know, there's, it, it, that's a nice little punk rock guitar fill there. And uh, um, but yeah, dude, the the melody on the verse is solid on this one. Chris, thoughts? Now you guys said it all. Yeah, dude. Now do you hear the MXPX now? Right now i like do an, yeah this is another like i feel like costello Trippy. slash ever passing moment and you know these yeah. guys were close so yeah. it's not they shocking at all were. yeah no no no, no they were th- these guys like yeah. they, they, uh uh when i first saw the ataris at music dimensions i was wearing an mxpx shirt and they were like all so stoked you know they were like oh dude we know those guys they're great um and mxpx a few months or years ago i don't know times a flat circle did a uh, cover of uh san Diego's yeah. high school football rules oh that's because awesome. mike's wife it was a huge Atari's fan and loved that song. So yeah, it's a great no, song. So it's not shocking at all that those guys would like kind of have some crossover influence wise. As a matter of fact, I think it would have been cool if he just got Mike to sing a little bit on this record, uh, which he which did. He does. <laughs> hey, oh, okay. So here comes the cover, which is the boys of summer. Uh, let's get to that one. I just I love this cover. What I mean, what are you, first? Let's just talk about like our general feeling of the cover in general. 
Kyle, where are you at on it? I love it. Okay, I thought you were I like just, no, no, no. I resented it, that it, I I resented that that was what was being pushed. By okay, them. the single and stuff like that. Okay. Defining no, the band. Yeah, yes, like that. This is what made the. I resented that it's what made them popular. I'm not mad at them okay. for getting popular, but like, no, it's right. a great, it's a great cover, and it's everything that you want from a cover. Something that you can tell you. You can tell that it is what it's supposed to be, but it's also different. It's also different. And I freaking love the subtle change, the black flag sticker on a Cadillac. I freaking love that. Great change. Yeah. I also, well, Chris, go ahead. Tell us what your thoughts are on the, uh, the cover in general. I, I was mistaken earlier in this podcast and I thought we were, you were saying that maybe you guys had a little more pushback to it than I did, but no, love the cover. No, no. I think I'm, I'm with Kyle. Like, I think if you were a huge fan of this band, like as soon as this song got big, you're, you just knew what you're like, Oh, I see. I can see this whole story. This band will forever be defined by this song. The band that covered this song, and there's so much more than that. They're, they were so much more than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and I think you know, you could just hear the story in your head because that's how how it always worked out in the '90s and 2000s. If you got known for a cover, like that was it, you were done. Um, so here's a, is, here's oh yeah go oh ahead. go ahead. Finish. Well, I, I thought say, you were done. Covering a song is is not easy, and it's not easy to do well. It's not easy to put your own twist on it, but still like keep all the elements of the song that made it great. And they did it absolutely perfectly. This is a perfect cover and there's three reasons why i think it's a perfect cover one is because it's it's a pop punk cover song but it's not like overtly like me first in the gimme gimme's pop punk it's like an homage they're not winking at all exactly exactly they keep all the cool elements of the songs like all the melodies uh you know the the instrumental parts and and they do it just right and third the other reason i know it's a perfect cover is because mike campbell said it's not a song that you'd expect to do, but I like their version of it. And if you get Mike Campbell's stamp of approval on a song he freaking wrote for Don Henley, you're fine. You're good. You're good to go. Yeah. If and you I, first of all, yeah. if, if you're Tom Petty's guitarist who writes yeah. this song with Don Henley, and then you're like, yeah, it's great. Like, I don't need any other opinion. Like, yeah. I'm sorry. He is the authority because he's worked with two of the better, I mean, musicians ever. Right. Yeah. I mean, Don Henley from the Eagles, in case you're not aware. And then a uh, pretty big solo career. He had a few hits uh, yep. from not only this album, but the other one. I, I did. Uh, and I did also want to say that, like, part of listening to this song right now that made it like I like almost teared up a little bit. This song's kind of about like the 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 passing of the the young part of your life to middle age. Right. And And Don Henley wrote that deadhead on a Cadillac line because he was talking about like this guy, he's got a grateful dead sticker on a Cadillac. Like it's so, and I was thinking, Oh my God, that's so funny how it works out exactly the same way with black flag for like our generation, you know, like, uh, uh, I don't know, man. I, I, yeah. So I, I, Okay, I, most a, of your notes I'm are done. most of your notes are the same thing I was going to say. You know, Sorry. it's like like I, I love that they did they they didn't like do the winky thing. This is not uh, a punk band covering a Britney Spears song. This is like they like this song. They revere this song too. I love Don Henley. I think he's got one of the best voices in all of pop and rock and roll ever. And I feel like Chris Rowe has some of the same qualities, that kind of raspiness to it or whatever. Mm, yeah. Um and uh, yeah, Mike Campbell, obviously one of my favorites too, because of Tom Petty and whatnot. Uh, but yeah, like, so I don't take covers lightly because I feel like somehow they managed to a pick something that 
that's that was already a huge song. Like that's like there's they didn't pick like some deep cut from Don Henley's record. That was like a hit. Um, but I, I they put their own style on it, like you said. Love the lyric change. I think that's awesome. Uh, it I I don't like when people change the melody where it's unrecognizable. They didn't do any of that kind of stuff. They did the guitar more rocky, but still t- stayed true to Mike Campbell's stuff. Uh, but they they punked it up a little bit and did some noisy stuff and some cool things. Um, I get that they didn't like that it was released as a single, but honestly, lyrically, it fits on this record too. That's the other yeah. crazy thing is that it's like about the same thing. You're right, like the deadhead sticker on a Cadillac thing is such like a indication of growing up and you're like, what's going on? And they change it to black flag. And like this whole song is like, is a perfect, if they're going to pick a cover, it's a great one to put on this record as far as like lyrically it even fits. And so I love it. I, I get why they maybe didn't want it released as a single. Cause then you get defined by that. But the other truth is that like another thing that I love about covers is that when a band does it and there was a gap between like this song came out in 91, I think is when boys of summer was originally released. I might be wrong about that. And then on, um, uh, end of innocence, I think anyway, I can't remember, but, uh, the point is like most people that heard this song maybe didn't even know that the original boys of summer existed. Like they might have thought this was an Atari song and that happens sometimes. And I think that's cool when you get to introduce like, you know, 13 year olds to a song, that you know was from the year they were born or whatever and they didn't know about it before uh and i feel like that happens i know it i mean i i know every cover is like that because i've always heard someone be like oh that's that whatever song <laughs> my brother tells a story of oh my god speaking of he was at a fleetwood mac concert and they're playing uh uh what's the uh landslide and the girl like next to him was like oh my god i love this dixie chick song <laughs> <laughs> she thought Stevie Nicks was covering, was covering. a Dixie it's not, Nicks. It's not bad that she didn't know Fleetwood Mac played the song originally. What's bad is She's that her brain f- went it, right. It didn't go. Oh, this must be that's the song. The version I like must be a cover of this band because they're all old as crap. I her boyfriend paid Mick like three hundred dollars. Her boyfriend played like three hundred dollars for a floor seat at Fleetwood Mac, and she doesn't know that. Uh, anyway, I just thought that was a hilarious anecdote. But the truth is, that happens all the time. That people are like, "Oh, I didn't know they did this song or whatever." And so, anyway, I always like introducing old music to a new generation. I think they did that too. So I love the cover. Uh, I think it's great. So, but uh, you nailed it with the with the Deadhead and Black Flag thing. Like that's the perfect uh, perfect thing. So, any other thoughts on Boys of Summer? I, I just want to say Kyle. that what a, that was a good call, Blake. I agree with you. Like it should point to the original artists. It should expose that that what it, you know. We should be pointing to our influencers, right? Like I love they loved that song, and so they covered it. They didn't do yeah. it. They didn't. They didn't cover it to get famous, although it got them famous. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and I like, doubt that was the intention. You're absolutely right. right. And so I, I love that. I, I agree with you completely, Blake. And I, I, I agree that that's probably on my list too. Like if I, if I listen to something, I mean, there's nothing cooler than, um, for like for me, one that stands out is Unwritten Law did a cover of Adamant's Goody Two Shoes. Do you guys remember that? Yeah, of it's course. So it was on that before you yeah. were punk. It, yeah, and and I remember like thinking when I first heard it, this is a banger. This song right here. I mean, can you imagine? I I liked it. It had horns in it, and it was like super happy and poppy. And it and I was like, this is amazing. 
did a little research. Oh, this is a cover song. Oh, yeah. this is Adam Ant. And like, that's what cover yep. songs should do. Yeah, I agree. So. Just fun, funny you mentioned that. I hadn't thought of Unwritten Law in 20 years or however long it's been. And one of their songs came on my discovery playlist this week on Spotify. (laughs) It's so funny that you didn't mention them uh, two days later or whatever. Uh, Yeah. I'm just all, I'm all for it. And you know, what's funny is that like, I feel like that, um, you know, in the sixties and fifties, people covered stuff that was out right then. I mean, that was like just a normal thing to do. Yeah. like Joe Cocker doing little help for my friends was like, I mean, that album came out like a year or something before, I think Joe Cocker did his version yeah, or a couple of years or something like that. And, but that's a good example of like the dudes and the Beatles were like, that's the better version. Like we oh, love yeah. that version of that song. You like, nailed it. <laughs> nailed it. Like, you know, and, uh, and it goes on to in some ways be the more famous version of that song. You know, it's like, it's on the wonder years and all that. Isn't it, isn't that the wonder Years song? Yeah. 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 Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, yeah. uh, I just like, I panicked for a second at your face because it looked like I was like, no, Blake, you're wrong. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I was thinking of how I yeah. didn't they take the song out of the intro for Netflix or something. You were thinking yeah, of they didn't how Marilyn yeah. Manson was on that show. <laughs> Wait, not. what? That's a oh, oh, <laughs> that whole thing. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, it's very believable though. When you saw him, he was like, oh, that's him. Oh, that, I know yeah, it. That's that's definitely him as a kid. Spot on. Uh, so anyway, great cover. On to track 11, radio number two. Kyle, what are your thoughts on radio number two featuring so, Mike Herrera? At least okay. maybe Glenn Phillips too. I don't know. I, I really like this song and I guess more than I like the song by itself. I really appreciate that. Like this was a good time in this record to give us like some fun. You know what I mean? Like, like let's take, let's take a break from, totally from, from the sadness and the nostalgia and like, let's just have some fun. And they nailed it. And the freaking, freaking key part is so awesome right there. And my Carrera is awesome. Um, awesome song. Awesome placement. I, um, I think I am more pleased with like the placement and the vibe than maybe I feel about the overall song. But I still really like the song. So anyway. I love a good uh, Radio Sucks song. It's like yeah. one of my favorite also subgenres of of music is uh yep. radio is terrible. Uh also songs to be included would be like your new aesthetic, Jimmy World, and uh uh oh, what's the Rocket Summer song? It's great. Song is not a business plan. Uh there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of them like that that are like uh and I like it. It's a good uh, little genre of of fun things. Uh oh, by the way, the other person that's on uh, this record is Tim from Sugar Cult, and I think yep. he's on this track. 
and uh, another great band from back then that kind of yep. had this same vibe. Um, Makes it all the less shocking that Tim liked our band if he liked the Atari. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, <laughs> like probably like oh, these guys are ripping off the Ataris. Uh, that's probably uh, what happened there. So uh, yeah, Sugar Cult uh, was a great band uh, back then too. So uh, I would still love to know for sure which songs. I know Mike's on this track for sure, but I want to know what song Tim's on. I want to know what song Glenn's on. I don't know. I, uh, quick, quick note about Tim. Guy is like banged out like a pretty illustrious career of songwriting, like for Neon Trees and stuff. Like he's had a great career. Um, Good for him, man. Yeah, no, he's always been a great songwriter. I think this is the best crafted song on the record. When I say a song, like no, no, pop song. No, just yes, crafted. Like all the pieces. I've talked a little bit about his pre-chorus, chorus chorus habit. That I'm, you know, I'm kind of like wag the finger, like, "Mm -mm." Um, but but I still like the pieces. But I feel like he put all the pieces together perfect. This feels like a bromance, like two dudes like having a great time. I see him like looking at each other in the studio, just like, (laughs) isn't it great? We're doing what we love. Uh, And and also like I know I've I'm telling you the guy's going through a Costello fit. This is a this song is Radio Number Two based off Costello's song Radio Radio right hand that feeds. Um, so, so, uh, it was funny. Like I was driving around like in the car, this record with, with my t- twin boys in the back. And I was like, Oh, I was like, I think this might be, I think this might be like something about like the Elvis Costello song. And like, I was, I was like, Oh, I am so clever that I figured this out. Nobody's going to figure this out. And then I like, Oh wait, no, he like literally says the lyric from that song. So. And it's called radio uh, number two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no. It all, and then I was like, maybe, maybe it was a little more obvious. Than I thought maybe I'm dumb for not realizing it till now is the real truth of the matter. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm into it. You're right. It is the most like uh, straightforward song, and like the pre-chorus is still fantastic, but it's like yeah. one bar long. You know, it's just like there it is, it's done, and it's but, uh, to, but that that diminished chord at the end of yes. it, it's like so good. Yeah. But to Kyle's point, it's like the perfect. It's like if you could have picked a point in the record to just drop this song, it could not have been planned any better. It's just you just like kind of need a breath of fresh air, and he's like. Meet me at midnight. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's so great. <laughs> it's good. I probably hated the synthesizer in 2003. I hated synthesizers at this time. I don't know why, because now I love, I literally just made yeah. an EP of all synthesizer songs. <laughs> like right. synth pop stuff. He's all he's all in. He's like GameStop, so dude. He's all in on synthesizers. But I, I but I like it, and it's great. And I, I did not appreciate it at the time, admittedly. I didn't, I, I was kind of from the, uh, another Tom Petty that, reference. Uh, no. Nope. Benmont Tench uh school of uh no i hate synthesizers uh, and and now i love them i don't know why it is not your fault it is not your fault and i will tell you why because every freaking band that had a synthesizer in this era just it was like a token synthesizer and it was annoying and they yeah. shouldn't have been on the stage and every time somebody was setting up a moog on stage i was like oh this is gonna be a freaking crap fest and i was always proven right well, except for Motion City Soundtrack, they were the one band that nailed it. But oh, you're right; man. every I didn't see. If I went else there, then. I was going to see them. Though I'm talking about when the opening band brought a synthesizer on stage. You just knew it was going to be a crap fest. Hey, look! I would have traded. <laughs> now looking back, I would have welcomed crappy synthesizer for all the screamo bands we played with back in the day. I would have been thrilled to have a synth. I was trying to emphasize your point. Now you're. <laughs> no, I'm. I'm with you. I'm just saying. As far as what things team I are hated you on? Back then, no, but I did hate them at the time, and I don't know why, because I really like them now. I, I enjoy them. So I'm sorry, synthesizers. I think I tweeted the other day, like, hey, 80s music, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I really didn't appreciate you when I was a kid, and I should have, because talk about they were writing some hooks back then, man. They didn't let oh, yeah. anything on, on the radio if it wasn't, like, a monster hook. I've been yeah. learning 80s songs for fun with uh, this this group of guys, and, uh, dude, freaking hip to be square. Huey Lewis and the News didn't write a bad song. Like yep. they just didn't do it. They were like, 
there was no mediocreness. Uh, mediocreness, mediocrity. Medi- is that mediocreness? the mediocre version of mediocrity. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's go to looking back on the day. I think that's someone else doing the background vocal there. That's not mm-hmm. him. So that might be one of the people we're trying to hammer out who it is. I don't think it's Glenn. Cam- I don't think it's Glenn Phillips though. So that might be. It doesn't sound like Tim either. I don't know. Anyway, we'll never know. Uh, first love song on the record. Basically, we're at track twelve. Uh, and if you're gonna write a love song, this is it, man. He nails it. I love it. This is such I a love good this song. Such you guys. A good song. I, I was raising my hand so you could see me, Blake, because I wanted oh, to go sorry. first because I was too I was I've been nervous about this song. I was worried you guys might crap on it and be like, nah, no, this isn't good. I love Dude. And and it's weird because it's it is so different. Um and also it continues like I feel like there's a lot of heavy content on this record and like you kind of get low in the feels. Like I mean, the nostalgia is good, but it's also like um I don't know how to describe this. Maybe like, you know, I think at the time that this happened, we were all around the same age. We're like, you know, early twenties, but like realizing that we weren't kids anymore. And so there was like a death of that. Right. And so, um, it's, it was a pretty heavy record, even though I loved it. And these two songs in a row, it's almost like you forget, (laughs) you forget that everything before it was so heavy. And you're like, you know what? I want to listen to this record again. So, um, yeah, I cut I cut in line because I love this song so much. It's it's so awesome, such a good hook. I love the melody. Um, I love this one. Chris, what are your thoughts? Oh, it's my favorite song on the record. I was singing it all week. Bird it's one of my buddy. favorite. It's one of my yeah. favorite songs of theirs. Period. Yeah, no, I mean, it, like, it, it, I think it's so good. I think it's all the better because of the placement on the record. Mm, you know, like yeah. you've all, you've been taken through this journey. But if you're a fan of uh, Blue Skies, obviously, this record kind of is like almost like an homage to that song, but it's like, it's like, I'm going to pay an homage to my old songwriting style, pull out some of my old tricks, but I'm also like, I've grown, I've matured, I've like gotten better at this. So I'm going to do it like way better. And like he 100% nails it. And then, uh, you know, for, you know, an extra bonus, like the, we get our first, like Blake said, love song that's kind of, really cheesy and but like in an adorable way it's not but it's because, not too much but because it's the only one on the record exactly. yes. it like the weight of it lands perfectly in my opinion and i love the chords over the japan is really nice england is really nice like those chords and the drum parts are it's perfect yeah i love the feel of it like really everything about it the chords are perfect the the lyrics the pre-chorus i mean like everything's really good on it and i just really i love again just like the other song we talked about, it's a song about being on the road, obviously, but it's like you don't have to have been in a band or ever have been to Japan to understand like what he's singing about and feel the same way about someone, probably. So I, it's a good way to do it. I think also uh, for anybody that's ever been in a band that's been on the road, 
I what I appreciate about this song is the is the distinction between touring and traveling on a vacation. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. mm-hmm. um, I think there are people who look at bands and they're like, "Oh, they get to see the world and the country," and yes, they do. It is not the same as going on a vacation, and um, and I I appreciate the distinction that like if I had more time, I'd take you somewhere. You know what I mean? Because like. I think you could listen to this and be like, well, why don't you bring her on tour, dude? (laughs) And because that's not a vacation. So, um, yeah, it's not the same thing. And and you wouldn't want to be there. Like (laughs) I was only in one band where somebody brought their girlfriend along for a while. And that, Uh, that did not, that did not pan out. (laughs) Didn't work. (laughs) It's just, it's not, it just didn't work. Everyone knows you just meet up for like a show. Like, that's like, right. you know, you're in a, a state away and they come over and like, that's the fun way to do it. They get a little bit of the experience without the like awful experience of actually like having to sleep on people's floors or whatever, which was really yeah. fun when I was 20. I cannot imagine doing it now. Oh my <laughs> God, dude. If I had to spend it, if I had to spend like 24 hours in a shopping mall, just walking around pretending to be interested in shirts, a hot topic again, I would probably jump off the, you know, food court, jump into a deep fryer at Chick-fil-A. The second Just floor. end it. Uh, so let's go to, I mean, spoiler alert, I'm going to include the bonus track on our track listing. So this is not actually the final track because oh. I think this bonus track is a more legitimate bonus track than most of the time. So and anyway. it was on the original record, right? Yeah, it, it was. was. Yeah, It's yeah, on yeah. it. So it's like a bonus track, but it was really on the record. And I'm going to count it, even though it's an old song. So anyway, this one is like sort of the final track, track 13, eight of nine is the name of the song. But, uh, you know, we've got one more coming up as the bonus track. Here we go. But don't take the worst for granted Cause you only get So many second chances Kyle, thoughts? Um, I like this song. I, I, the song before it is probably my favorite song on the record. So like, um, really hard to butt up against it. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard to follow that. And, and, uh, so, uh, I don't, I don't dislike the song and I'm not, I'm not even, this is not one of those records where we're like, where I feel like this is not the right song at the right time. And it has nothing to do with that. And I know we said that we're going to count the bonus track as the actual ending, but like, I'm not mad about where it's placed or anything like that. It's just, you know, it's, it's fine. It's all right for me. Uh, I mean, I think that it like feels like an ending track in the sense that it feels like, you know, uh, we're going to make a bunch of noise at the end of it. I feel like Paramore is kind of like this too. Their ending track is always just kind of like the weird, everything's (laughs) uh, noisy and stuff, but it's not, um, I don't know. I mean, it just feels like a last track, but it's not like you're trying to say something crazy or something. So, okay, Chris, what do you think about the last song, eight or nine? I, you know, I think you guys said it best. It, it, it's kind of a good, it's a classic story, right? Like it, it's a, it's all right. It's a decent song. I mean, once again, I, I love the chord progressions. What do you call that? A diminished chord? The bununi? Is that is that what you meant by diminished chord? Or is that called a well, minor chord? That's, uh, I don't know what chord we're talking about. So they're 
different. Uh, I but... just remember that it was when you put your pinky like on the e string at the bottom, and like it would do that weird little sound. I don't know how to remember. I don't. I don't know. He does. He has got these interesting like kind of fifty style open chords. That uh, he... I think you're. Th- I think he does some sevenths or something like. Is that, that maybe that's what it is? That sounds right. Like that. yeah. Minor seventh. That's it. That's it. I think there's a minor yeah, seventh. Yeah, yeah. Where he's like more. bringing it up, and and uh, I, I don't know. I always like that. I think uh, Danny in our band would would invoke that a lot too, and and um, I, I don't know. I always liked it, so I, I, I'm, it's a cool song. Yeah. Uh, cool. Well, so the the that's like you know the final track, and then we've got a bonus track, uh, and uh, most of the time bonus tracks were crap in the early 2000s because most people just put them on iTunes and it was like some demo or acoustic version or something. But this is uh, a new version of a song from Blue Skies. Uh, and uh, this version obviously has the uh, benefit of a Columbia budget instead of whatever. Uh, what was the label they were on before? Why did I just draw a blank on it? Uh, uh, Kung, Kung, Kung Fu. Records. Kung Fu. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, let's go to I Won't Spend Another Night Alone. Just as long as thoughts on I Won't Spend Another Night Alone, even though you're familiar with the song at this point already, but to hear it again on this record. Yeah, they they didn't phone it in. Like, it, it, they, they gave it some some love. I mean, they didn't really change it or anything or, or like, do no. anything that interesting with it, but, um, yeah, that song makes me feel like I'm in high school again. Uh, you, you gotta, you know, a, a rule of 90s pop punk was you had to have a 6-8 song on every record, so I'm glad that, like, they snuck it in right at the end. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Kyle, thoughts um so one of you guys mentioned the uh the oh dang it the song we all love I, i'm not good with titles what's the what's the name uh, of the looking, song that we looking back love? on today oh yeah looking saying, back. so you you guys oh, had sorry. mentioned looking back on today how it was it was kind of reminiscent of blue skies right and mm-hmm. yeah um he he mentions in this song the lyric I if if I had one wish this is what it'd be and I'm like that's that's so weird like that's a weird line to to use again so I don't know if that's an intentional throwback uh, on on I like on, it yeah like I kind I kind of like the I I kind of hope that it is but yeah I mean dude uh, I like the song I I love that record as well and and um I think it's cool. When you get a when you get a you know a major label budget polished version, so uh, I dig it. Me too. Yeah, I I love the like as a guy that likes production, like I like the I like this version better just because it sounds better, it's better put together, slight changes that are better, and like you know, and it's good, and it feels like a it feels like a good bonus track, like it makes me feel. Uh, it's not so disconnected from the rest of the album that I'm like, oh, that's weird. Like, it feels like it still fits on the record, but yeah. it does feel like the track before it was really the end track, and then we got a little gap, and then this song. Um, so I, I always really liked it, and I thought it was worth including on it because there were probably a ton of people that, like, had obviously never heard the old right. Atari's records. And so this is a good introduction to some of that older thing in a new way. 
and I think that's a cool thing. And you're right. I like the six, eight thing, Chris. I always like a six, eight song. Uh, so that is track by track. Let's talk about final impressions and whatnot. Are not final impressions, but sort of uh, lasting impressions. Uh, does it hold up? I mean, I think that again, <laughs> uh, yeah, right, guys. Yeah, totally, absolutely. I surprisingly think almost, well. I think it was almost better in the sense that, like, oh, I yeah. think there's some things that I didn't appreciate as much as now. I realize, like, oh man, the piano on it is is exact it's not gimmicky it's like perfect the synth is the same thing like they were making the right choices even though they seemed maybe not weird at the time and you're right the american kyle i'm so glad you said the thing about like menzingers and and gaslight anthem and stuff like that you're i don't i i think you're right i I don't know if these those bands exist uh without this kind of ushering in of that but it's weird that i'd never thought of that before though too so maybe maybe we're wrong but i don't know you know we can't be wrong we're in agreement all three of us that's true we are um we're the authority on this now we have a podcast uh let's talk about unfortunately i mean when we talk about is this their best album they come out with like one more studio album and it's awful four years later it's i mean do you guys like it at all there's some good songs on it i i don't like it at all i mean i was gonna say I I, I, i like a couple songs yeah, I try. yeah, like that song with the word Cheyenne in it. I can't remember. It's a great song, but everything. Maybe yeah. there are a couple, but like it was such a disappointment at the time. And I tried it oh, again yeah. uh, in yeah, the no, last no. couple weeks and I was just like, cannot get into no, it. So I'm bummed, it that up. It, I'm bummed that they just <clears throat> kind of disappeared. But like, do you guys think it's their best album of the other ones that came before it? Yes, I, I do. Yeah. And I think without a doubt, obviously, it's the most important album. It's the one that blew them up. It just sucks that like, nothing came after i mean they've they've released a few things but they're all like one's a live thing one's basically yeah. like the newest one is like reimagining some of those songs and i do like some of those like again it's like oh let's do these songs with good recording and and they do actually change up the kind of the styling of the songs and stuff and does well they so do some cool I w- stuff but i was actually going to ask you guys about that because uh um i was reading that they thought that the demos were going to be this, the, the demo sessions that they did for song long Astoria. Um, they, they enjoyed them so much and they thought they were so good that that was going to be the record. Like they were done and they were going to release that. And they said that someday they would release that. And I wondered if that's what this new release is. Is it the demos from back then or are these new recordings? I think they're new. I mean, okay. My understanding is that they're all, like new recordings of old songs, some of them that had never been released. Some were obviously like they do. Um, I mean, they do some of their big ones. They do. Um, what's the football one? What's that one? Uh, San Dimas high school football. Role. Oh, yeah, San Dimas. Yeah. yeah. They do that one, but like in a different kind of style. And it's more of like, it's a little more, um, it's even got more of like Americana guitar tones on it and stuff throughout some of it too. Um, but and I like it. I actually think it's pretty cool. But it's not like a new album in the sense that like like they basically didn't come out with like new new music. Um, other than the one guys, that came four years for, later. For, yep. Forgive me. Uh, we we had a miscommunication there, Blake. Okay. In 2019, they put out so long Astoria demos. That's their newest release. I wasn't. Oh. We weren't tracking there. We weren't jiving. I'm talking we about saying. the 2017 yep. one that's yep. got like a white cover. Okay, yeah, we're talking about the wrong. Okay, yeah, they did release the demos. I thought that came before this last one. I had the years mixed up on it. Okay, okay. The 2017 cool. one is the one I'm thinking of. That's I can't yep. remember what it's called. Yeah, uh, uh, 
hang your head and hope. I think hang your yeah, head and hope. Hang like your that, head. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, I think those ones are pretty easy to answer, uh, but I think this one's going to be harder. Desert Island songs. What are two or three of your favorites? I mean, is that even possible? <laughs> it's tough, but I could do it. Okay. Uh, I mean, Chris, it. what are yours? My three would be So Long Astoria, Radio Number 2, and Looking Back on Today. Ooh. Kyle? So I'm going to match two of yours. And honestly, I could I could go through and basically pick this whole record. Uh, this is a Desert Island record, I think, for me, by the way. Um, yeah, totally. I think I think uh, looking back on today and I'm going to go with So Long Astoria because I still remember putting this record in the first time and hitting play and just thinking me too. this is awesome. And the outro on that song, like. I'm I'm in for it. This is going to be every bit as awesome as I want it to be. And so, so long, Astoria. And I think I think I'm going to go with um, I think I'm going to go with the saddest song. I really like that melody. So, anyway, uh, I'm a sucker for. I'm a sucker for sentiment, so the whole record is good for me. But yeah, I, if I've got to pick two or three, I think I'm going takeoffs and landings, and mm. unopened letter to the world, and looking back on today. I think those are the ones that end up on playlist the most for me. I think that uh, I think those are my three. Um, what about nobody's perfect? Is there a what's the worst song in the album, or at least the one you would ditch? Maybe. I. Man, I I I felt like we kind of discussed the hero dies in this one kind of being, eh, you know. I think mine. I think mine in summer '79 maybe. Like I would maybe like oh. if that song wasn't on the record, I wouldn't feel like it's any worse. If that makes any sense. Okay. But I don't not like the song. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah no, totally. Uh, I can I mean, totally. I feel that vibe on that song too. Even though I too, like it yeah. more. Even though yeah. I like it more than Eight of Nine. It's like eight of nine feels like an ending track, so I don't yep. begrudge it. But yeah, like agree. summer seventy nine, I'm just like it's okay, but the lyrics are just a little too, uh, I don't know. And so if you left it off the record, this record would still be long enough because we got a fourteen track yeah. record. Like it's not like they needed the song, um, so I might have kept that one off. But Kyle, do you have a you have a choice for that? I mean, I think I I think I agree with you, Blake. I think what that that's kind of where I was going earlier. I had. I got uh, I had got cut off on eight of nine. I I agree completely. Like what what makes what's redeeming about that track for me is that it does feel like an end track. Um, and so, if you made me pick one, I'd probably pick Summer of '79. The problem is I the songs ninety nine percent of this record that I love so much. I I I love it hard, and I feel like I'm betraying that <laughs> that how no, much I, mean, I love it by saying. You don't you know have what? to pick. Uh, you don't have to pick anybody's perfect. You're right. You have I don't to pick Desert Island. You know songs. what? You don't you're, have to. You're pick right. You say no. I'm not. I don't anything f off. that. There's no. Okay. There. I'm not. I'm not. Ta- there's all of them are good. Totally fair. What about growing out a show or any uh, any ones that you didn't like maybe at first but have grown on you? Not for me. I think 
I, I think just because this was uh, such a breath of fresh air as far as punk music goes at the time, it was fresh for the Ataris, but it was really fresh just for that scene. Um, mm-hmm. The musicianship was, I think, better than a lot of the a lot of the punk bands. It, it the re- the recording was really good, and uh, I mean, it was just. Uh, yeah, nothing. I think I think from the get go, I I really liked it all. So, Chris, what about you? You got any? I'm gonna put a spin on this because I I don't. I when I first listened to the record, the Boys of Summer cover was just kind of like, oh, it's just mm. like one of the songs. But I don't think I appreciated how well they pulled it off, um, and until I was more mature, like I am now, because. I, it, I, I, just, I see I, that. Uh, I'm going to be honest. It. Like when I when I got to this song, when I was listening to it in the car, like the first or second time I was listening through it for the podcast, I played this song five times in a row, and I I kept listening to it and going, "They did this perfect." I yeah, was like, "They, they could it. not have done this any better." And I don't think I understood it at the time. I just thought like, "Oh, that was a cool song to pick. How interesting." But I don't think I realized like how like the little nuances, like the little details that they just that you could have just like so easily screwed up and I, I think they did it just right that's my opinion i'm gonna pick a really weird thing and say radio number two because Ooh. like the that core of the record i talked about like track whatever three four five six it like that feels like the record to me and obviously radio number two does not sound like that at all and so i think it was the one that caught me the most off guard is like i like it but it feels poppier and keep in mind i love a good pop song i'm not like like I said, love pop music, uh, but uh, I it just it didn't fit right to me, and now it does fit, and now I get it, and now I'm and I like the synth and all that kind of stuff, uh, and I really like the song, and I don't even think it's that I didn't like it. I think it was just a little bit like outside the what the what I felt the feel of the record was, but that's a stupid reason to because that's a great song. So that was a, a silly reason to maybe not like that one as much. Cause yeah, this time through when I started, I mean, like I said, I listened to this record fairly often anyway, but I hadn't like thought about it in a while. I listened to these songs individually. Cause like half of this record is on my solid tunes playlist. Uh, that's just, you know, every song that I'm like, yep, that's a good song throwing that on there. Uh, and, uh, you know, I feel like I just kind of slept on radio number two a little bit. Um, I guess that's it. So sorry for a, this was a really long podcast. B it was (laughs) raining on my metal roof. That's six feet above my head. So that's going to be all up in your ears when you're listening to this. So apologies for the rain. Sorry about the snowstorm, uh, et cetera, et cetera. The next album we're going to do is, uh, the format interventions and lullabies, their first full length record. Uh, so that'll be coming up in a couple weeks. Uh, thank you for listening. And, um, you know, if you like what you hear, please consider giving us a great review on iTunes. Uh, I didn't say that at the front of the show, but we still like that. We still like it. If you subscribe, we got distracted by talking about snow at the top of the show. Um, and you can send us comments, disagreements, suggestions to info at finding or on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook at, uh, finding emo pod. Other than that, we will catch you next time. <laughs>